Our first passage is from Matthew 6, 22 through 24, and you can find that on your paper Bibles on page 473. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your, if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Our second reading is from Luke 19, 1 through 10, which is found on page 512. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who was a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the reading of the word. Well, uh, if you have been paying attention to the news this week, you probably heard the story about the incident that took place at Starbucks about a week ago, where uh, two black men were arrested for apparently not doing anything, for apparently sitting there waiting for a business meeting. Uh, now, Starbucks is, is reacting to that, responding to uh, this kind of major outcry that has swept across the nation. And uh, the latest reports say they're going to close down 8,000 of their locations in the next couple of weeks for an afternoon of racial bias training. And if you've read any of the stories, uh, one of the things that the founder of Starbucks said, or the CEO, the guy who's been responding, he said that they're specifically going to focus on unconscious bias. Have you heard that terminology before? I, I know that a lot of us are, are familiar with some of that language, but the idea of unconscious bias is this, that, that uh, social stereotypes about certain groups uh, are easily formed by individuals, and um, sometimes we don't even know it. Unconscious bias is, are these biases that, that we hold, and they're actually a lot more prevalent uh, than, than the more outward and offensive types of prejudices you usually think of. And the really interesting thing about unconscious bias is the people who, who hold those unconscious biases, it's, it's often uh, contrary to their values. They would never want to know that those things are true of them. And, and racism, um, especially this idea of unconscious bias, it's a huge problem. Not just a problem for Starbucks, it's a problem for the church as well. I mean, I, I think... Honestly, we could stand to shut down for the afternoon and have some uh, racial bias training sometimes. 
But as I was thinking about that dynamic of, of a sin that we struggle with and we don't recognize, of a sin that, that is contrary to our values, I started recognizing that, that this subject we've been talking about all month has a lot of similarities. That there is a similar dynamic uh, with our relationship with greed and money. Greed is a sin that is prevalent, but it's usually unrecognized in the church. It's a sin that most people would say is a major problem, but no one thinks they are personally guilty of it. It's a sin that is easy to spot in other people, but it's one that we rarely would confess as our own personal struggle. And it is a sin that is against our values. So today, that's what I want us to do. I want us to look at this passage, this pretty famous story of Zacchaeus, and I want us to talk about greed. I want us to let this story shine a light on this issue of sin. I want us to see the dynamics of greed, the opposite of greed, and the freedom from greed that we find in this passage. So the dynamics of greed, the opposite of greed, and the freedom from greed. That's where we're headed. Okay, so what are the dynamics of greed? Let's look at our passage. If you got your Bibles, pull them out. Uh, we're in Luke chapter 19. If you don't have a Bible, take one of these. It's yours. It's our gift to you. All right. It says, verse uh, chapter 19, verse 1. He entered, Jesus, he entered into Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. What you need to know about Zacchaeus is that he was a notorious figure in his community. Tax collectors, and especially the chief tax collectors, uh, were not well-regarded people. Now, I recognize uh, we probably, most of us, just wrapped up our taxes this week. Um, this is just a coincidence, actually. We didn't plan it this way. I don't, I don't think we planned it this way. Um, but, but I want you to know, whatever feelings you might be having about the IRS, <laughs> they are nothing compared to the way Jewish people felt about Zacchaeus. Because Zacchaeus... The way you become a tax collector is most of the time you bought that right from the Roman government. This government who was the enemy of the Jewish people, who had oppressed them, you would go and you would pay for the right to collect taxes. Now Zacchaeus was a Jewish man, and what, what his job would be would be collecting the taxes that, that the Roman government had asked you to collect, but then on top of that, you could collect whatever you like. You could carry out that process however you wanted and so when Luke tells us that Zacchaeus was a rich man, what he is telling us is that he has gone to the enemy, he has sided with the enemy for his own personal financial gain. Zacchaeus had become rich by oppressing others. His wealth had come by abusing his power and his authority. And so people didn't like him. Verse 7, when Jesus says he's going to go to Zacchaeus' house, it says, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Now, lest you think those people are too cruel to think that way about Zacchaeus, too unforgiving or too unkind, let me just remind you of someone in our own society today, Martin Scarelli. Anybody remember him? You know that name? Have you seen him in the news? He's called the, the Pharma Bro. <laughs> he's, he's currently in prison, uh, but he became notorious just a couple of years ago, 2015, because he and his company acquired 
this business that sold a very important drug for AIDS patients uh, that was especially used in developing countries. The, at the time when he bought this, this company, the pill cost about $13.50 per pill. When he bought it, the company raised the price to $750 a pill. Basically, by making that decision, Martin Scarelli had decided he didn't care if thousands of people died as a result. Now, this guy is kind of universally despised. If you go read about him, you're not going to find any positive, positive arguments about why he might have done this. Zacchaeus was kind of like Martin Scarelli. He was someone who had become wealthy through oppressing the poor, through profiting off of his power and their hardship. Now, the problem with examples like that, the problem with Zacchaeus, the problem with Martin Scarelli, is we think about those people and we say, well, I'm nothing like those people. Those people are really bad people, but I'm, I'm doing all right. I've, I've never done anything like what that Scarelli guy did. I've, I've never done anything like Zacchaeus did. But what I want you to see this morning is that we all have a problem with money. And the fact that we don't see it, the fact that we don't see ourselves as being like those people, is maybe one of the most dangerous signs. Deborah read Matthew 6 for us as well this morning. Matthew 6, it says, The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Okay, so the first, little, first couple of verses of that text are a little bit confusing, right? Light and darkness and light and dark inside of you. And it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But then it follows up with that line, you cannot serve both God and money. So what does that mean then? Why? Why is that in there? Well, it seems like what Jesus is telling us is when money takes a central role in your life, when money becomes the thing that you serve, it has this blinding effect on you. When money is what you serve, it's actually very hard for you to see it. Now, it's easy for us to see others misusing money, right? But it's hard to see it in ourselves. We might recognize, okay, I understand, you know, my, the way I spend my money, it's not perfect, but it's justified. I understand why I do it the way I do it. It's not outright evil. Or maybe one easy example is with married couples here. Let me ask you, how often do you look at your budget and you get offended by your own personal spending? Right? Probably not very often, right? Maybe never. But how often do you look at your budget and you, and you are offended by the way your spouse spends money? I'm guessing that's not never. <laughs> right? It's easy to get offended by someone else's spending. So let me just say, the whole point of this illustration is this. Right now, if you don't think that you have a problem with money, Scripture is challenging you to think maybe you do. Scripture is saying, if you have the thought, I don't really struggle with this, that might be one of the primary symptoms that you struggle with. 
So, why then? Why do we all have a problem with money? Why is money such a big deal? Well, it's because, as we talk about every week here, we were created for a relationship with the living God. We were created with desires that can only be met through Him. Amen? Amen. But money mimics the promises of God. Money, maybe more than anything else on earth, mimics the promises of the living God. Money promises us things that only God can provide. It says it'll promise us safety. If you can just buy the things that you need, then your life will be secure. It promises us glory. If we can get enough, then we will be respected, then we will be admired. It promises us meaning. If I have money, then I am somebody. Then I have a name. Then this whole world has a purpose. It promises us rest. It promises us freedom from anxiety. If I just have enough money saved up, then I don't need to worry about my future. And it promises us happiness. If I can just get the things that my heart desires, if I can just purchase them all, then I will be content. And there's a lot more. Those are just a few that I I thought up of off the top of my head. You see, money, it weasels its way into the center of our lives through a thousand different promises, through a thousand different angles. But it can't live up to any of those promises. Money cannot live up to any of those promises. Just look at Zacchaeus. Look at this ostracized and desperate man or any of hundreds of others public figures that you can think of right now who are wealthy and who are miserable. The promises aren't true. Wealth cannot deliver on the promises it makes. But we're easily fooled. Because, like Matthew says, like Jesus says, money blinds us. It darkens our eyes. That guy, Martin Screlly, when he increased the price of that drug... When he was asked about it eventually by Congress, that when he said, how could you possibly make this decision that could lead to the deaths of, of hundreds or maybe even thousands of people, here's how he responded. He said, if there was a company that was selling an Aston Martin at the price of a bicycle, and we buy that company, and we ask to charge Toyota prices, I don't think that should be a crime. Now, he's right if he were dealing with cars and bicycles. But he wasn't. He was dealing with human lives. But because money was his God, he was blinded. He was blinded to the reality of what he was doing. And we do the same thing. Not only do we justify and defend every purchase that we make, but we also justify the anxiety we feel about our lack of money. You hear me? This is, this is where it's going to get real for most of us, I think. <laughs> but this is what I've been saying all week. This is what I've been saying all month. You don't have to have money for it to be your God. You can still be looking to money for all those things I mentioned. Rest, meaning, glory, whatever, without a penny of it to your name. Money is an enormous danger Because it can easily become our God whether we have it or whether we don't. 
It's dangerous to us on a personal level. It's dangerous to our souls when it takes that central role in our lives. But do you realize there is also a corporate angle to this sin as well? Do you recognize that? That there is a corporate dynamic to greed? Greed is a sin against God, yeah. But it is also a sin against neighbor. And that is a glaringly obvious thing when you look at Zacchaeus, right? His lust for money had obviously harmed his neighbors. He had swindled them. He had taken their wealth for his personal gain. The money he had, it really didn't rightfully belong to him. It belonged to them. Well, it's the same with us. When we talked about stewardship a couple of weeks ago, if we really are stewards, if God really is the owner of all the resources that we have, if God is truly the giver of all things, if he has called us to take the gifts he's given us and steward them for the rest of the world, and we do not do that, then we're robbing our neighbors. If we're not using his gifts for their purposes, we are robbing our neighbors. The greatest commandment, it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, right? Well, Matthew 6, it's exposing that dynamic. You can't serve two masters. You can't serve both God and money. You can't love money and love God. You can't love money and love your neighbors. When money rules our hearts, it harms our neighbors. It robs our neighbors. When money is our God, this says nothing short of it destroys your soul and it destroys your community. That's the dynamics of greed. So let's look at it from another angle now. The second thing I want to talk about is the opposite of greed. That's some heavy stuff to think about, right? That, that money destroys your soul and your community. That's... That's a weighty thing for me to tell you today. But this is not a weighty story. Luke chapter 19 is is not a sad story at all. If you want a sad story, you can go to the chapter before this and read about the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and says, what do I have to do? And Jesus says, give away all your money, and he leaves sad. He abandons Jesus and instead chooses to follow his pursuit of wealth. But that's not Zacchaeus. Not at all. That's not where we find Zacchaeus. And you can tell it from the the very first moment. What does Zacchaeus do? He climbs a tree, right? Now some commentators, they say the reason Zacchaeus probably had to climb the tree was because everybody hated him. And since he was short, they didn't want to let him through to the, the front of the crowd. But that didn't stop him. Zacchaeus was a desperate man. And so he does this thing that is actually very humiliating in this Middle Eastern culture. Men, grown men, do not climb trees. He opened himself up to that ridicule. This this crowd of people who already hated him, he didn't care what it was going to cost him. He climbed up into this tree, into this humiliating position because he desperately wanted to see Jesus. This guy had gained the whole world through his wealth. 
through his predatory habits. But he was still empty. He was still seeking. He was still searching. And, and when he found out that there was a man who was coming who had earned himself the name friend of tax collectors and sinners, he knew he had to see that guy. Maybe the point that we should be thinking about is, is all that God was doing in Zacchaeus before Jesus showed up. Before Jesus ever walked down the street, God was working in Zacchaeus' heart. And as soon as he saw Jesus, he realized how blind he'd been. As soon as he saw Jesus, he realized how dark his heart had been, that he had been looking to the wrong God, a God that could not fulfill its promises. He realized that Jesus was the answer to those things that he longed for. He was, he was the answer. He was the source of glory and security and comfort and meaning and rest. Now, sometimes the people, they read this story about Zacchaeus and they think about the rich young ruler and, and they get caught up in, in, in this idea of, of the difference between them, right? Because Jesus, he did ask the ruler to give up everything. But Zacchaeus, he only gives up half. They wonder, you know, is Jesus... Is he being inconsistent here? What's going on? Well, of course not, right? The rich young ruler, Jesus was exposing the idol. Jesus was trying to help him see what he could not. Just this dynamic we're talking about. He was telling this guy that you're blind to your own sin. But he didn't have to do that for Zacchaeus. Look at verse 8. Zacchaeus stood and he said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. When Jesus speaks, he isn't saying, Well, now that you've given up your money, you're forgiven. No, he's just explaining what has already taken place. As soon as Zacchaeus met the living God, he was set free from his greed. As soon as he saw Jesus, he realized that money could not compare with the true riches of knowing the living Son of God. So do you know what the opposite of greed is? Maybe you think the opposite of greed is, is generosity, but it's not. The truth is, you can be a very generous person and still be ruled by your money. One of the most generous people I've ever heard of was, in fact, one of the greediest people that I've ever known. This guy named Bob McLean. Uh, he was well-known in Tennessee, um, as a, as a generous philanthropist, he gave away millions of dollars. He had a wing of uh, the local university named after him. People spoke glowingly and highly of him. And then, towards the end of his life, it came out that all of his money he had stolen from his friends. That he had been running a Ponzi scheme. And that all of those millions that he was so proud of giving away, he had robbed his friends and family and everyone he had known. He was generous, 
But his generosity was just another way to be greedy. See, this guy, he used his wealth, he gave it to others because of what he could get out of it. And you can do the same thing. You can do the same thing with your giving and with your tithing, even to the church. Do you realize that if you give to the church because of the blessing you hope to get back, it's just a different kind of greed. If Zacchaeus gave away all of his money in that moment so that Jesus would save him, so that Jesus would declare that he was all right, it would have just been more of the same. Using money to get what he wants. It would have been another way for him to use money to get salvation. No, the opposite of greed is not generosity. The opposite of greed is worship. You hear me? The opposite of greed is worship. It is putting Jesus at the center of your life so that your money or your lack of money no longer rules you. That's what happened to Zacchaeus. When Zacchaeus met Jesus, money stopped being his God. And it just started being money again. As soon as Zacchaeus worshipped God instead of his wealth, you see that he started to love his neighbor too. Do you notice that? He instinctively gave back the money. He gave away half of the money and then he said, if I've defrauded anybody... Whatever wrong I've done, I'm not going to just pay it back even, but I'm going to pay it back four times over. Money was just money. Worship, not generosity, is the opposite of greed. And when worship struck Zacchaeus' heart, he was finally free to love God. He was finally free to love his neighbor. And as we're spending several weeks talking on this, teaching on this subject right now, I want to say that's the freedom I long for in each of us. That's why we're taking the time to do this. Because I want you to be free to love God and neighbor. I want you to be free from these false promises of wealth. So how do we get there? How do we get free from this trap? Matthew, he's already told us. Jesus said that money darkens our eyes. That it's hard to see even if we're in this trap. So what can we do about that? How do we deal with a problem that we can't really see? Well, two things. One, we need to look to Jesus. And two, we need to ask ourselves some hard questions. I can't make you want to look at Jesus. That's one thing I I realize as I'm reading this passage. There's nothing I can do to make you want to see Jesus. There's nothing I can say that's going to persuade you to turn away from the empty idols that you're following. But, if this passage tells us anything, it tells me that God is working. And I bet there's a lot of you here who already have realized this truth. You already feel the burden. You already feel dissatisfied. You already know that the things in this world aren't satisfying your longings. They aren't meeting your needs. You know the pain of idolatry. 
You know what it's like to live lives that feel disconnected from God and you're getting desperate. Because God does that work. God convinces us of that. And I want to say, if you feel that right now, then you need to look at Jesus. Just like Zacchaeus did. Zacchaeus went to the place where he would see Jesus. This week I was talking with uh, someone and, and she was telling me that she was in just this place. That her life was actually working out better than it had in a long time. That she was in a healthy relationship. That she had a steady job. Things were, were more secure than they had ever been. But she said she was less content and less happy than she had ever been. Because now she felt far away from the Lord. And my encouragement to her is the same thing that I would encourage you to do. Go to the place where you can see Jesus. you got to climb that tree, whatever that means for you. I mean, not literally, you probably don't need to climb a tree. But what I'm saying is, is you got to go to the place where you can see Jesus. If you want freedom for your soul, you need to see Jesus. You need to see Jesus in his word. If you don't know why Jesus is beautiful, if you don't get why he might be worth giving up everything, it's because you haven't seen him yet. Climb the tree. Open this book. Read it. Find out who he is. If you don't see Jesus, climb the tree. Get to connected to the church. You know, I, I will tell you about Jesus here on Sunday mornings, but not just on Sunday mornings, okay? Connect yourself to the people of God. In our church, you can find a community group if you're having a hard time, but I'm going to say build some relationships with people who will point you to Jesus, who will show you Jesus as he's at work in their lives. But go, find a place where you can see Jesus. Go see Jesus, whatever that means, however that happens, because when you see him clearly, here's what you're going to find. You're going to find a God who has been seeking you the whole time. Sometimes it feels like a lot of work to catch a glimpse of Jesus. Sometimes it feels like you have to work really hard to be in his presence. But the truth is, we have a God who is seeking you. Zacchaeus climbed a tree. It was humbling. It was embarrassing. It took effort. But do you know that before he climbed that tree, like we just said, God had already convinced him how worthless his life was. God had already given him that desire to go looking for more. Before he climbed that tree, God had already determined before the foundation of the world to redeem his life that day. Before he climbed that tree, the eternal Son of God took on flesh and literally walked to his house. And after he climbed that tree, you know, Jesus, he got on a tree of his own. He didn't climb it. He was nailed to it. In our passage, when Jesus pronounces salvation that has come to Zacchaeus' house, he knew that didn't mean Zacchaeus' sin would cost 
No one. He knew there was going to be a penalty for those sins that Zacchaeus had committed. There would still be a consequence for his personal rebellion, for his worship of wealth, and for the harm that Zacchaeus had done to that community. There was still going to be a consequence. Scripture says the penalty of sin, the wages of sin, is death. And on the cross, Jesus died for him. On his tree, Jesus took the penalty for his sin. And he took the penalty for your sin as well. For anyone who would turn to Jesus for salvation this day. I'm telling you that that if you're struggling right now, if you're trying to get past your idols, and what you need to do today is climb a tree, but I'm inviting you to see a Savior who has already determined to save you, who wants you to be free, and who will surely respond to your cry. And once you do that, once you see the beauty of Jesus, there is a second step I mentioned, right? You need to ask yourself some hard questions. As I studied this passage this week and and the others the previous weeks, the one thing I have been convinced of is all of us are trapped. We all have money issues. All of us need to have this kind of Zacchaeus moment. All of us need to ask some hard questions. We need to ask the question, what am I hanging on to? that God wants me to give. What are you hanging on to that God wants you to give? Hebrews 13, it says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Where might the love of money be taking hold of your life? Where might you be resting in wealth instead of in Him? Next week, we're going to wrap up this series. I know some of you are very happy about that. (laughs) But I want to challenge you this week. Add this question to your prayers. God, what is more beautiful to me than you? And what am I unwilling to give? As we come to this table here in just a moment... I want to invite you to remember a God who was willing to give us everything. Who was willing to give us His very life so that we could come to Him and we could worship and we could be set free. Let's pray. Father, I'm grateful um, for Your Word. I'm grateful for the, the full counsel of Scripture that brings us to topics that we would rather not discuss. That brings us to things that that challenge us and force us to see just how much room we have, how, how far away from holiness and righteousness we are. But Lord, I am uh, I'm grateful today that we come to this table and it reminds us that the righteousness we need is not inside. It doesn't come from our work. It comes from you who seek us and save us and redeem us. Lord, would you expose our idols? Would you take off our blinders? Would you show us where we need to repent today? as we come to you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.